John wrote that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why is that so important to know and understand this concept? I'll be discussing this with a very special guest on today's episode of Kingdom Currents. I'm excited and honored to have a special guest with me in the studio today. Reverend Adrian DeVisser is from Sri Lanka and has been visiting Cathedral Church and Academy this week. And Adrian, welcome to Kingdom Currents. I want to say thank you and I feel really honored and this is a privilege to participate with you in this podcast. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, would you just take a little minute for our v- listeners and, and, and tell them what it was like growing up as a young boy in Sri Lanka? I hope that you know where my country is because very often when I ask tell people Sri Lanka, they kind of, where is it? But if you look in the map, it's just below India. It's a small country and in the and if you if I give you a context, it is the same size of state of West Virginia, which has 1.3 million people. But in this same landmass, we have 23 million people living in this country. Wow. It's, it's densely populated. And my country, the predominant religion is Buddhism, about 70% of our people. And 12% of our people are Hindus, about 6 to 7% are Muslims. And the Roman Catholics and Christians together will be about 6%. And the evangelical Christian community, when separated, will be about 1%. So we are a very small church, and that's the configuration of the religions in my country. And, and as a young boy, you didn't grow up with a lot to live on. As a young boy, I, I come from a very poor home. And after my birth, my dad lost his job. And in Asian culture, if you're born and your parents go through to misfortune, it says that child brought in bad luck to the family. So I grew up under this influence. My parents never told me that, but I heard my relations, uncles and aunts talk about what happened to this family after this boy was born. And after some time, I believed that. I believed that it was me, and I, as a result of that, my life was going in a way of complete destruction. Academically, I failed. Emotionally, I was crippled. Socially, I was awkward. So it is in that context that I grew up as a young person. And many times I wish I was dead. But I don't think I had the courage to even take my life. And, and God kept his hand on your life. And of course, you came to know Christ as your Savior. When did you become a Christian and how did that change your life? When I was a young person, you know, some of my friends, I had very little friends, they came and said, there is an organization called Youth for Christ. They get together on Saturdays and have fun. And I thought, well, my life there is not much fun. Let me go and check it out. So I went there and I remember the very first day there was a lot of fun, but it ended by explaining the death of Jesus Christ and that Jesus died for me. It was for me an unbelievable story. 
that I, who always believed that I was an unlucky child, brought misfortune to the family, to believe that God himself would die for me. I went home thinking about it and the next day I made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And I must tell you, it was as if all of these years I was living in a dark room and suddenly somebody put the switch on, it became illuminated. My thinking began to change. My outlook of myself began to change. I still have the scars and the memories of some of my childhood. But I can tell you this, that God has made a difference in my outlook. That, that's an amazing story, and that really is what the gospel is. It's transformative and changes our lives. We become new uh, creatures in Christ. Uh, I, I know you at one time came over here uh, to the United States and actually attended uh what's now Columbia International University, was Columbia Bible College and got your master's in missions. And you've really been active in ministry in Sri Lanka and several other countries ever since. Uh, and, and part of your ministry, as I've read your books and talked with you and things like this, it really comes out of what you witnessed a lot of suffering in your country. What, what were some of the things that you witnessed that, that your country people went through? Uh, first, I can say is that I experienced suffering because I didn't come from a, a wealthy family. Not only was I emotionally crippled, I grew up as a young boy in the midst of poverty. I had many days that we had very little to eat. And I remember when I was a child, we had very little clothing to clothe ourselves with. So I experienced suffering and then when I look at my country, from 1983 to 2009, we had a civil war in the northern sector of Sri Lanka. This was a brutal war. We lost over 100,000 people during this war. Hmm. It was a young group in the northern sector calling themselves the Tamil Tigers. They are the ones who introduced the suicide bombing to the world. It was not the Taliban. It was the LTT from Sri Lanka. And we lived through that and that war was for 30 long years. So when I send my son to school, I'm not sure he'll come back alive. And to me that was a battle because my family lives in Australia, my brothers and sisters, and they would constantly ask me to come there, come and settle down with us. But I was deep conviction that God called me to this nation and I stayed there. And then in 2004, we were hit by a tsunami. Tsunami destroyed many families, villages, cities. I think the government keeps saying that it was only about 40,000 people who were lost. But I have visited every single area where people lost everything. Homes destroyed. They say it was equivalent to a nuclear bomb that exploded. Wow. And I think well over 100,000 people were killed. So I saw that. Then a few years ago, we had the Easter bombing where three churches and two tourist hotels were bombed. This was bombed by some Islamic militants and we saw many many people die in that 
And I also traveled to other Asian countries like Cambodia and Myanmar and all the other places. And yes, I have seen a lot of suffering. I have experienced suffering and I want to make a difference. To me, I'm praying that God will continue to give me a heart of compassion. It's not a heart of empathy, a heart of compassion, because compassion, you not only feel sad about something, but you want to do something to bring a change. And, and of course, uh, your story tells you that. Now, your, your bio says you're the founder and senior pastor of Kitu Savannah Ministries there in Sri Lanka. I, explain what that means and uh, what, what the ministry is all involved with. My first 12 years, of, first 12 years I was involved with young people called Youth for Christ. Because that's where I came to know the Lord. Naturally, I became their first worker with the national language. But then I started going into the villages of Sri Lanka. And I went to the villages of Sri Lanka. I didn't see any churches. I saw the temples. I saw the Hindu temples we call Kovils. I saw people cutting themselves, hanging themselves, trying to pay for their sins. You know, there was no hope. It was a very dark, and I felt it was very demonic. So when I saw this, my heart of compassion said, you need to do something. And I had no clue what I was doing. So I came back and I told my leaders, I feel God is calling me to plant, to start an organization that will be a church planting movement, indigenous to my country, and so I launched out, not knowing what I was launching out into. And today it has become a church planting movement. Because of what I do, I also became involved with the Lausanne movement. And I became the international director for South Asia. And currently I serve as the vice president for Asian Access, which is, you know, you come alongside pastors and provide them with training and coaching. So that gives you a little bit of what I do. Okay, and when, when you go into a village to plant a church, you don't just go and find a place and just start having church. You, you do some things beforehand, don't you? For me, that is not just a strategy, but I feel it is what the Lord would want us to do. When I read the story of the sower, you know, the sober went out, and very often the emphasis is on the sober. But if you look carefully, the emphasis is not on the sower, but the emphasis is on the prepared soil. There were three grounds that was not prepared, but there was one ground that was prepared. And because it was prepared, there was a hundredfold. Having understood that, and then taken, take a look at my own country, God is not worshipped, other gods are worshipped, and there are no other gods. And I realized that we are living in demonic realm. And when you live in a demonic realm, you just don't go, down, go there and start preaching the gospel. The scriptures tell us, unless you bind the strong man. So when I looked at the parable of the sower, and I looked at the whole story, of binding the strong man, I realize that my first attempt has to be 
establishing God's kingdom. And I take God's kingdom and I gather the few believers and I begin to pray. And as we begin to pray, my prayer is, Lord, the God of this world has blinded the minds of our people so that they do not see the glory of the blessed gospel. Would you help us to bind? And I, under, I also understand that the spiritual battle is not just praying. It is also becoming countercultural. Because what I found out was, when in these districts, people move in one direction. In some, direct, some societies, there was alcoholism and addiction. In some places, it was child abuse. And my understanding of spiritual battle is on one hand you pray, but you become countercultural. You go opposite that spirit. And not only go opposite that spirit, you invite the Christians to establish family altars. So, yes, we pray, because I believe I am a strong, uh, I, I believe this, but Dr. Robert Coleman made this statement. He said, prayer is striking the winning blow. Evangelism is the gathering of the harvest. I believe in countercultural behavior and doing the opposite of what demon, demonic powers will want to do. I believe that the people of God, rather than be separated by denomination, should come together and establish altars and bring glory to God. And as a result of that, the powers of darkness begin to lose its grip. And then we look for, and as we continue to pray, suddenly there is an opening. There is somebody who is sick. And they will come and say, would you come and pray? So when you go there, when you lay hands and pray, which I believe is biblical, right. as the Bible told us, I give you power and authority in Luke chapter 9 or chapter 10. I give you power and authority to preach the gospel, to cast out demons and to heal. I don't think you have to identify yourself as a Pentecostal or a non-Pentecostal because for me, there is only one Bible. And when I read that, it says, I'll give you power and authority. So we're just laying hands and praying. Sometimes it is a demonic and it's very common. People are demon possessed, they are screaming, shouting, mm. and the entire neighborhood knows. And you just walk there no, no drama involved. You just go there, just lay your hands and rebuke the spirit and people get delivered. So we start with prayer because the soil had to be prepared and we know we have to bind the powers of darkness and you walk against the currents and you establish the Christian community coming together. That's where you see the breakthroughs coming in. You know, and that, that's very much uh, I'm involved with Christian education, as you know, and that's really a pattern that we should be following. You know, we should be bathing our students in prayer. You can't just go and dump on them. Uh, and then you need to develop those relationships. And, and I think what's missing so many times in educating uh, young people is they don't see a difference in our lives. 
uh, we're not countercultural. We're so many ways, well, yes, we love Jesus and we read the Bible and go to church, but our lifestyles aren't much different. And, and so I, just hearing how the process you go through is something we can learn as we try to uh, engage children and, and, and shape their lives, too. Uh, when I think of Glenn. You know, my concern and my observation is that when a society becomes technologically savvy and we have all the things, you know, obviously God has blessed this nation, we become less and less dependent on God. We become very dependent on our technology, our strategy. I feel the church needs to come back to the drawing board. This is a spiritual battle. This is not, we are not battling flesh. How do I say that in Ephesians 6, 12? Flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. We are battling with powers of darkness. I love this country. To me, it's like my second home. But I see that the church is sliding. And I think our attention must not be on our technology, on our knowledge and our abilities and our budgets, but it must be a dependence on God. Well, that, that's you have identified a major problem in our country for certain. You know, you, you spoke uh, to the church and school staff yesterday, and uh, I, I was in another meeting and slipped in, and you were talking uh, about the connection of grace and truth. And, and of course, we find that in, in John's gospel, uh, the first chapter, verses uh, 14 and 17. Let me read those, and then let's talk about those. And here's what we find in the Word. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then down in verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The whole concept of combining grace and truth uh, is very meaningful to you, and you even believe the order is important. Could you explain that a little bit? Before I explain that, I feel that we have placed a lot of effort and energy in theologizing. And so we have seminaries that are they are teaching theology. But in my part of the world, we need another extra dimension, and that is a missiological approach. The missiological approach is taking the truths of the scripture and taking it to people who have a different worldview and who have a different understanding of God, of life, life after death. I think we have just overlooked that fact and we have come to the understanding what works here, the United States, what works in Britain must work every, everywhere in the world. I think that is a poor understanding of how to communicate the biblical truths to people with different worldviews and different cultures. I can understand this 
when I take the United States of America, there was a time, and I'm using the word time, because times are changing, and I will make a reference to that later. There was a time that Dr. Billy Graham can say, the Bible says, and the people will listen to that, because they had a Christian worldview, and they had a biblical worldview. So naturally, he can use that. But consider my position. I go and talk to the Buddhists. I start with the Christian truth, it immediately clashes with the truths of their religion. And what happens? There is animosity, there is anger. And we already have a major issue because we were colonized by the Christian rulers, the Portuguese, the British. Portuguese colonized us in 1505, uh, Dutch took over, the British took over, and we received our independence in 1948. And throughout this time, there was forced conversion. That's a very sad history. So into this context, not only in Sri Lanka, you take India. This is a Hindu, Hindu dominant country. Or I go to the Muslim world. It's an Islamic dominant worldview. I feel that, I'm, I'm saying this very apolog apologizing, I feel the biblical position is grace and truth. But because it suited the worldview of the Western mind, it was flipped to truth and grace. Mm. They changed the order and it was okay because you are dealing with a Christian audience. But I think that things are beginning to change now and I feel that this order must be thought through again. Then I went to the Bible, when I read the scriptures, I think Jesus took the other opposite. He took the grace and truth concept, like the woman who was caught in adultery. You know, these guys bring her and they are all ready to kill her. And they ask Jesus, what would you want to say? He talks to them and we know that passage. But then finally, when the others went away, Jesus looked at her and says, Woman, where are those who condemn you? And then he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There was no lack of truth. It began with grace. Neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more, which is truth. Then I looked at the story of Zacchaeus, the man who was involved in double taxation. He was climbing a tree and waiting to get a glimpse of Jesus and nobody was kind enough to him because he was an evil man. Jesus did not come there and say, you know, you do understand what has happened to you. You know, you are doing double taxation and all of that. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home. And then we know what happened. Obviously he shared truth and there was conversion and he said, I will restore what I have done wrong in the past. I can go on highlighting a lot of passages of scripture like that. My understanding is grace opens the door for truth. So when I start with truth, there is a clash. But when I start with grace, it opens the door for truth. And so why not use that? Because it works. 
you know i i experienced that myself in the very early 90s when the iron curtain fell uh, i had the privilege of going over there and training teachers on biblical morality as a foundation for society and one of the things i was sharing with a group that had sponsored me when i came back i, I shared how i learned so many of the russian women had had multiple abortions uh, because they were only, they really only had room for one child in the family. So they, they were common to have six, seven, eight abortions. And I remember one lady uh, in my group said, well, did you tell her how that was murder? And I said, no. And she said, why not? I said, because they have enough guilt. What they needed to hear was grace. And, and if they hear grace that would overcome their guilt and then they become a believer, then God can change their heart. And I think that's exactly what you're saying, that grace really opens the door of truth. And here is another reason I believe this very strongly. When I take most of our countries in Asian context, they are either Buddhists, Hindus, or Muslims. Buddhism, there is no grace. Hinduism, there is no grace. Islam, there is no grace. The only religion of grace is Christianity. So to me, when I start with grace, my, my figurative understanding is like this. Here is a man who is living in a desert and longing for a drop of water. Because grace is so uplifting. And as you know, our cultures are very shame-based cultures. Because our because of our shame-based cultures, the truth cuts against our shame and exposes us. And then the bio and the preacher will say, Now you need to repent, you need to come forward. So in a shame-based culture, you have cut through what they believe. You have told them that their fathers and generations have gone to hell. And you are now you're telling them, come forward and publicly acknowledge. It goes against the very grain of a shame-based culture. But grace comes alongside without insulting them, without bringing additional shame. You come, come to them with hope because only Christianity, there is grace. You know, and, and when I think of all the young people over the years and families that I have ministered to through education, uh, it, it is becoming very much like you are experiencing in these countries because the average family that comes to a Christian school does not have a biblical worldview. They have a false worldview. Now, now they don't know it, and they may even have accepted Christ, but they don't have that worldview, so it's, it's not impacting their lives. And we've got to be careful that we don't just blast them with truth even though truth sets people free you've got to go and cause them to realize that it's okay to to believe what you're believing with us you're safe uh, we're going to offer you grace uh, jo josh mcdowell he puts it in a different way but i think it's the same way he says rules without relationships breed rebellion and, and grace is really that building of 
relationships where you give them what they don't deserve. And so I, I just think, yes, it's something that you you see in your world very much so, but it's true here, too. And I hope our listeners are understanding that we have to have the biblical order. It's grace and truth. Uh one other topic I really want to talk about is that when people come to Christ, but then they don't live biblically, this whole concept of worldview, what do you see happening in Christianity where people just aren't living out a biblical worldview? And what's the answer from your perspective? Let me offer two examples so that it becomes more meaningful for our listeners. In our part of the world, there is an unwritten code of conduct that says man is God and a woman is a subject. So the, if you are a non-Christian, you live in the worldview that you are above and she's your subject. And as a result of that, the man becomes so demanding, he becomes the king in the home and she becomes the slave in the home. And as a result of that, domestic violence is also very high because you're God. What you want, she does. And if she doesn't, you, you deal with her. Dr. Glenn, I'm dealing with pastors who are also abusing their wives. And I'm not exaggerating, I'm telling you that as a senior leader in my country, I'm counseling pastors who are abusive of their wives. Because what happened was, this was what they believe. As a Buddhist or a Hindu, this was their worldview. They became Christians, but their worldview was never challenged or never replaced. When you come to Christianity, Christianity tells, love your wife. In Ephesians, like Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He laid his life for her. Christianity, we believe, husband and wife, when they come together, they become one flesh. If you're one flesh, how can one be God and the other be subject? I don't think we have taken time to deal with these things, help them to understand their warped worldview and replace it with a biblical worldview. Now in our part of the world, there is a lot of bribery and corruption. And I was very worried because everywhere you turn around, there is bribery corruption. And then one day I suddenly realized when you are a Hindu or a Buddhist, you're always bribing your God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Vertically, you offer them sacrifices and say, I give you this, you do this to me. So if on the vertical, you have mastered the art of bribing, what prevents you from bribing on the horizontal? Now, if our part of the world has to come out of bribery and corruption, I believe that that warped worldview must change. But then when somebody becomes a believer and he becomes a pastor of a church and if that worldview has not been changed, he will get involved in bribery and corruption. And so we have churches that will get into corruption. 
uh, frauds because it's very much a part of our worldview. I am very sad when I looked at a country like Rwanda, claims to be almost 95% Christian, but didn't they kill themselves based on the tribal? Because my understanding is this, they were Christians, but their worldview was tribal. Right. And and I think that's the part, well, it's really taking a believer and making them a disciple. Uh, and And sometimes we've taken the Great Commission and we've truncated it down to just being evangelism. But once they're saved, it says we need to teach them to do all that God commanded. That's that biblical worldview shaping. And and uh, it's not going to happen in a church 45 minutes a week. Uh, that's why we're so involved and I'm so committed to biblical education in the home church and school being together and, and uh, trying to shape these young lives. You mentioned a couple times that you're sort of going through your own theological battle in your mind when it comes to how we're teaching and raising children, that there's been a change and it's resulted in some really disastrous results. What, what do you see the change in, in teaching children? There are two things that my, my observation. The first one was when you take the Old Testament, the parents was to teach the children. In Deuteronomy and in Proverbs, it says, teach your children when they are young. And I can't remember the exact words of that, but you know, impress upon their heart as they stay with you. I think the parents have abdicated their responsibility of discipling their children and teaching their children. And they have handed it over to the Sunday school teacher who meets the child only for an hour or hour and a half once a week. So the first problem is we have abdicated. I really, I really believe that the father and mother must be committed to teaching the children the truths of God and modeling it at home so that the children can see that the father is a godly man with a godly character. You know, that that's the first principle of kingdom education. The education of children and youth is the primary responsibility of parents. And, and not only do they abdicate it to the Sunday school, but they abdicate it to the school. Sometimes a Christian school, sometimes a secular atheistic school. And they're saying, you teach my child what to believe. And and it's so disastrous and things like this. So I, I amen you 100%. We've got to get parents back involved. So go on from there. The second one, I have been studying what happened uh, in the history of the church. The history of the church, Martin Luther, John Calvin... Uh, Augustine and all of them had a good understanding of catechism. They developed catechism to teach the doctrines of God to children. But then came this famous popular Sunday school approach where catechism was replaced by craft, arts and craft and storytelling. And as a result of that, our children are not growing up with good biblical theology. Now, I'm not asking that we do a systematic theology or anything of that nature, but I think 
our children must be educated in the doctrines of God so that as they grow up they can face the world now it's almost it's taken for granted in this part of the world that children must go through a remedy and I'm asking the question why do you come to that conclusion if you do the things right if you teach doctrines and you teach the children to walk with God and you model that at home rebellion should not be the norm I would 100% agree with that. And, you know, what what I find is that so many times, even when we do teach the Bible to children, we just have these favorite stories. They don't see the big picture of the Bible, which is a worldview picture. Uh, they just say, oh, there's David and Goliath. But they don't see how that relates to anything else in the scriptures. That's the doctrine. That's the catechism and things like this. Uh, I'll never forget reading Ken Ham and Britt Beamer's book, Already Gone. And they went and interviewed young adults who had left the church. And they found that they were really leaving the church mentally back in middle school, even though they kept attending and through high school. But but when they asked them, why did you make the change? Why, why did you stop going to church? And here's what they said. Well, they went to church for Bible stories, but they went to school for facts. So they just saw these little stories. But truth and facts and meaning they went to school for and, and boy that i heard uh, uh, christian smith in his research when he talked to the emerging adults that had left the church they said well church was just an elementary school of morals and we've graduated from that so we've got a lot to do <laughs> to go and get back to teaching the whole counsel of god even to our children. You know, Adrian, if someone wants to learn more about your ministry, how can they find out more? Who can they contact? Is there a way to contact you? Uh, I know we have a website called kitusamana.org, but we don't put much content in that because for obvious reasons of living in a country where there is certain restrictions. But personally, my, I would ask people to contact me by email and I will always respond to those emails. And I would love to be connected and to continue this conversation because I feel sad that we have a gospel that can change and transform lives, families and societies. But we are loving powers of darkness to rule our nations. Amen. Yes. And I have a feeling that as things begin to slide like this, the Western Church will soon face persecution from your own people. Martin Luther brought a reformation. I think we need another reformation. We need a reformation. Again, I quote Mao Zedong from China, he said, you have a revolution and then you have a counter-revolution to maintain the revolution. I think the church has drifted and we need another counter-revolution. We need another reformation. I can be contacted at my email 
which is Adrian Divisor144 at gmail.com. Okay. And if you want to contact me at Kingdom Education Ministries, I'll try to hook you up too. Uh, you know, when you say about the counter-revolution, I've heard someone say that we, we definitely need a spiritual revival because that revives our heart. But then we need a spiritual transformation of our minds so we think biblically. So they've got to come together. Adrian, I want to thank you for taking time to join me on Kingdom Currents. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and sharing this podcast with others. And until next time, I pray that we would make sure that we live our lives exhibiting grace, speaking truth as we provide kingdom education to future generations. Northwest Christian School has made Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, charter school, or homeschool. Frameworks is an exciting new initiative utilizing the learning management system of Grand Canyon University. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com.